From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be filling in for Tony as he's taking some very much needed time off. And we're honored to have you on board with us. Listen, before we get into the program, we just had some breaking news that we'll be sharing more details of, I'm sure, tomorrow. But right now, some breaking news of great importance, a unanimous panel for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit has ruled that the Food and Drug Administration must restore critical safeguards for chemical abortion drugs. And they also disallow shipment by mail. This is a huge, huge win for the pro-life movement. And as I mentioned, something that we will definitely be covering in more detail tomorrow, but that literally just broke moments ago. Now for today's edition of Washington Watch, Monday night's indictment of former President Trump did much more than throw a wrench in the 2024 presidential election. It also ensnared 18 other individuals, from veteran political insiders to regular citizens. Article 3 founder Mike Davis and I will be talking about that in just a few moments. And before celebrating the one-year anniversary of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which is today, President Biden was in Wisconsin yesterday as part of his Bidenomics tour. And interestingly, by the way, in his Bidenomics tour, he did not mention that Bidenomics has seen prices go up by nearly 17%. He did not mention that real wages are down by 3%. I'm sure all that surprises you that none of those issues came up. But the president did have this to say about Republican Senator Ron Johnson. He believes outsourcing manufacturing jobs is a great thing. He's on record as saying he doesn't agree with American work. This is what he said. American workers should manufacture. He doesn't think they should manufacture products that require a lot of labor. Wow. Well, Senator Johnson himself will be joining us later in the program to give his reaction and more. And of course, we continue to pray for those suffering in Maui. And while our hearts break for seeing the devastation that we've seen, we know for certain that God is there in the midst of the ashes, bringing comfort to those who are there. When you look at what's, got, what's happened down there, it looks like Hiroshima. It looks like a bomb has gone off. You guys all know this. It's just, and it's, it's, it's devastating. But you guys, we serve the God of all hope. That was Pastor Steve Santos this past Sunday delivering a powerful message to his church, which is the Calvary Chapel Westside Maui. Well, Pastor Steve will be joining me live here to discuss what he shared Sunday as well as how we can continue to pray for those in Maui and support in their rebuilding efforts. And then to close out the program, we've got some good news and bad news. On the one hand, we've got a court decision that came down earlier this week regarding a First Amendment victory for Students for Life and the uh, uh, Frederick Douglass Foundation, a great victory. But then on the other hand, we've had a disappointing result as it relates to parental rights coming out of Maryland. It reminds us again of the left's takeover of so many of our schools and why we absolutely cannot 
give up in the fight. So friends, we're going to be all over the country in today's program, unfolding a lot of information for you. And let me remind you, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can catch it by going to our website, TonyPerkins.com. And of course, also you can pick up their archives from previous programs and lots and lots of resources. All right, let's jump into our first item for this evening. When Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis indicted uh, President Donald Trump on Monday night, she also ensnared 18 other individuals with those charges, several of them uh, that are accused are political insiders, such as Rudy Giuliani or uh, former Chief of Staff of the White House, Mark Meadows. But the list also included citizen electors and even a publicist for pop music acts. Uh, but with the former president leading the field in the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, there is a political dimension to every element of this prosecution. Well, what can we make of it? What can we make of the others who were indicted? Well, joining me now to break all of this down for us is Mike Davis. He's the founder of the Article 3 Project. He spent nearly 10 years as a civil litigator in Denver, and he has also served in all three branches of our federal government. Mike, welcome back to the program. Good to have you. Thank you for having me, Congressman. Well, it's our, our privilege in every way. All right, look, before we get into the details, let's look at the big picture. You yourself has called this whole thing a, uh, an election interference. Uh, that's your read, really, on the indictment of former President Trump, correct? There's no question. And this has been the lawfare campaign by the Democrats going back to the Mar-a-Lago raid last August, a year ago, where it started off with this unprecedented, unnecessary, unlawful home raid on President Trump for the non-crime of a former president having his presidential records, which is allowed by the Presidential Records Act. And then uh, you had Alvin Bragg up in New York, the Manhattan DA, Soros-funded Manhattan DA, indicting Trump for the non-crime of a businessman settling a nuisance claim. Jack Smith indicted for Mar-a-Lago. Then Jack Smith and Fannie Willis have both indicted the former president for the non-crime of a presidential candidate objecting to a presidential election, which is allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887, twisting arms politically is allowed by the First Amendment. If it were a crime to object to presidential elections, Democrats would be in prison for objecting to Republican wins in 1968, 2000, 2004, and 2016. This is Democrat lawfare to take out President Trump. It's the same thing that we've been discussing for the last year. Yeah, I mean, listen, you bring up a great point uh, that we have seen so many Democrats object to elections in the past. No problem whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But you let it happen now, and all of a sudden it's criminal. Well, as you said, it's a non-crime indictment. I mean, you say that over and over. So, well, that's a powerful a powerful description that we have indictments for non-crimes. But in addition to the president himself uh, in all of this, uh, there are 18 others. Let's start, if we can, Mike, by uh, discussing former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. He was, from my understanding, tell me if I'm wrong, wasn't he operating in his capacity as Chief of Staff? Yeah, I mean, he was setting up meetings for the president and coordinating uh, advisors and coordinating 
with uh, coordinating with supporters. That's his job as the White House chief of staff. And that shows you, Congressman, why this indictment is so fundamentally flawed. Uh, it's flawed in two different ways. Number one, the government officials, whether it's President Trump, his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, or senior Justice Department official, Jeff Clark, these people are acting within their official capacity. So therefore you can't bring, a state cannot bring criminal charges against federal officials who are acting in their official capacity, even, even in the outer perimeter of their official capacity. There's a Supreme Court case involving Nixon, Nixon versus Fitzgerald, where it held that you cannot sue federal officials uh, for acting, so you cannot sue them personally for acting within their official capacity, even, even on the outer perimeter. If you can't sue them for acting within their official capacity, how the heck do you think you can imprison them? And it's just, it's not, this is not going to fly with the Supreme Court. So you're going to see President Trump, I would presume, along with Mark Meadows and Jeff Clark and other government officials moving to uh, remove this case from uh, this Georgia Fulton County courts and um, uh, from Fulton County, Georgia court and moving it to the Northern District of Georgia, a, a U.S. District Court. And then I presume that they're going to move to dismiss this indictment, uh, President Trump for presidential immunity and these other uh, government officials, Mark Meadows and Jeff Clark, because they're, they're government officials. You can't indict federal government officials for what they're doing in their official capacity. And alternatively, if they're not doing this in their official capacity, this is protected by the First Amendment. Unless you're charging these guys with the riot or inciting a riot or um, threats or violence, anything along those lines, this is this is First Amendment activity. You can speak, you can you can petition government, you can twist arms politically. The political process is ugly, and if we're going to indict politicians and their supporters for being ugly during the political process, I don't know of too many politicians who would not be in prison right now. Very, very good point. In fact, multiple good points you just brought up, Mike. You know, one of the things that, that, that kind of concerns me in all of this is how it describes all of these involved as a criminal enterprise. You know, is, the, is the DA, at the end of the day, trying to round up all these people and get them to turn on the president, or are they just hoping that many of them will maybe plead to a lesser charge? Um, I what I actually think this is all about is this is the shot across the bow to Republican politicians and their lawyers and their aides and their support supporters. If you dare question an election in the future, if you dare uh, raise any objection, we're going to come after you with with the criminal justice system, with law enforcement, and we're going to make you pay one heck of a price if you do it. So don't even think about questioning elections going forward, even if Democrats steal elections, which, of course, Democrats would never steal an election because they're such upstanding people. Um, and, uh, you know, if you even question that now, you're going to face the full wrath of a prosecutor and in, in the government that that this just cannot happen in America. And this is why I keep saying these are Republic ending tactics by Democrats to use lawfare to take out your political opponents, to put your political opponents in prison instead of uh, having them beat you at the election box. And th this is, this is we are going down a dangerous path. This is crossing the Rubicon. Remember why, why Caesar crossed the Rubicon from Gaul into Rome is because you had Caesar, who was a populist, and you had the Roman insiders who saw him as a threat. So the Roman insiders 
ran a lawfare campaign against him and made him so desperate, he thought the only thing he could do was cross the Rubicon and it led to a civil war and the end of the Roman Republic. And I'm not saying Trump and his supporters should even think about being violent here, but but my point is is that this is going to this is going to turn into a legal tit for tat, where the next time Trump is in office or another Republican is in office, they're going to use their Justice Department to go after their political enemies, and this is this is going to end our country as we know it. Let me let me put a clip up for you. This is House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday on Fox News. Clip number three, please. Instead of protecting those in Atlanta, she puts out an email last Thursday saying, I have a big announcement from her campaign. They are campaigning off this instead of following what the Constitution says. They are do showing the American public that we have two different justice systems. All right, we've got about 30 seconds or so left, Mike. Uh, give me your reaction to that. Do you agree? I agree completely, and I would say to your colleagues in the House, you guys control the House. You have subpoena power, you have oversight power, you have impeachment power, and I think House Republicans should do a lot less tweeting and uh, uh, and TV shows and a lot more work, and maybe we should come back from the high holy month of August recess and actually use that subpoena power and haul in people and get their records and get them in front of the cameras and open an impeachment inquiry on President Biden and Attorney General Merrick Garland. Thank you so much, Mike Davis from Oracle 3 Project. We're grateful, very grateful for your insight this evening. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Congressman. All right, friends, coming up, President Biden traveled to Wisconsin yesterday, and he had some extremely harsh words for Senator Ron Johnson. Well, the senator will be joining us here in just a few moments. We're grateful for you joining us also for Washington Watch. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Honored to be with you this evening. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us as we're trying to keep you up to speed on all that's happening and doing so from a Christian worldview perspective. Uh, We're having a little bit of trouble getting Senator Ron Johnson. We're going to continue reaching out and trying to make that connection clear. But in the meantime, I began the program by sharing some breaking news that a federal appeals court today ruled that the Food and Drug Administration must restore critical safeguards for chemical abortion drugs and also discontinue, disallowing shipment by males. Friends, this is a huge, huge victory for the pro-life movement as a whole and for protecting the health of women. These drugs are just uh, incredible. So I want to take a moment while we're trying to reach out to the senator and bring on FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, who served at the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch and for being ready in a moment to discuss <laughs> this breaking news. Well, We're grateful. Fortunately, All right, we uh, have wonderful before, experts here who've got me coached up, so we'll see how it goes. Hey, listen, we've got all kinds of uh, plates spinning uh, right now. Listen, f- before we get into the specifics of the breaking news today, uh, can you fill us in, just kind of give us, a, refresh our memories and bird's eye perspective of these abortion pills and what they're all about? Sure. Well, in 2000, after a lot of work by the Clinton administration, in 2000, the the FDA originally approved these drugs, uh, two drugs, as, uh, you know, abortion by pill, essentially, chemical abortion. And so for a woman to get these drugs, she had to take them before she was seven weeks along. And so to make that determination, she would have to see a doctor, some kind of medical provider. And the drugs were provided to her in person 
the, the provider who was assessing her for the state of her pregnancy would give her those drugs. And this was a safeguard on many levels. Of course, it's never safe for the baby. The baby is going to die, right? But when you have the woman herself receiving these drugs, it ensures that no third party can have access to them and then further exploit women, a trafficker, a human trafficker, for example, someone who would give these drugs to a woman unbeknownst to her. Uh, that kind of thing. Meg, let me interrupt you right there. We've got the senator back, and I promised our, our guests that, that, and our viewers were going to go to him. Real quickly, if you can, because we're going to deal with this more tomorrow, what was the bottom line of what the court said in about 30 seconds? Bottom line, they tried to, to increase the, the week to 10 weeks. Now we're going back to seven weeks, which is medically much safer for women. And um, they will no longer be shipping these drugs through the mail, which is a huge, huge improvement over the situation that we were in before. That is huge. Listen, I can't wait to go further into this topic with you. Meg, thank you for stepping in, giving us the latest on this breaking news. All right, friends, the president is on his Bidenomics tour. He was in Milwaukee yesterday. Of course, today is the anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. But of course, the president did not mention that there is a trillion dollars now in credit card debt for all Americans. He didn't mention all the realities, but he did have this to say. He believes outsourcing manufacturing jobs is a great thing. He's on record as saying he doesn't agree with American work. This is what he said. American workers should manufacture. He doesn't think they should manufacture products that require a lot of labor. Who is the he to whom the president refers? Well, it was none other than our guest who we have now joining us by phone, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Senator, thank you for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Well, Tony, uh, glad to be on. Well, listen, uh, let's jump. We don't have that much time. Give me your reactions to the president's attack, his harsh words towards you. So he's lying. Uh, you know, when I was in manufacturing, I actually exported product. I exported plastic to China. I didn't outsource any jobs. Uh, so, again, you know, unfortunately, the, the president's mental acuity is diminished, as is his physical uh, acuity, and he has no problem lying. Uh, we, we've seen him lie about, uh, you know, what he said in terms of never talking to Hunter about his overseas business deals. Of course he talked to Hunter. He, went out to dinner with his business associates. He called into business meetings. So, unfortunately, we have a president in office who's a, you know, a repeated liar, and he has no problem doing so. Well, I tell you, there's tons of us who have your back on this, and I'll tell you from personal experience, and I know you've got a lot more of that personal experience even than I do, but when you get called out like this by the president, you are doing something right. Senator, and uh, we're grateful that you are doing so. You've, you've uh, struck a nerve there. It's because you are uh, standing right. The, the president was celebrating uh, the one-year anniversary of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act earlier today, and here is part of what he claimed in his remarks today. Clip four, please. This law is one of the biggest drivers of jobs and economic growth this country has ever seen. This law is helping families save thousands of dollars in energy bills every year through the tax credit and rebates to buy new and efficient electric appliances, weatherize their home, install heat pumps, rooftop solar. 
Again, what you just said, this is just not true. People are paying over $700 a month more. Uh, does this messaging really match up to what America is experiencing? No. Uh, I, I'm, the fish guy I always used that the dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration is worth only 85 cents, which is devastating to every American. It's raising all of our costs, but it's particularly devastating to seniors on a fixed income. Uh, anybody who saves has, has just seen their savings reduced by, you know, from a dollar to 85 cents. So, no, it's, it's devastating. Of course, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is basically funding a bunch of green energy boondoggles. So government poured millions of dollars into this electric bus company. Uh, that's now bankrupt. Uh, so, you know, cylinder is all over again. I mean, we, we know that's going to happen. I mean, when government gets involved in the marketplace, just screws things up and waste taxpayer money, more money that we don't have, and further mortgages our kids' futures. Well, Senator Ron Johnson, I want to thank you for uh, the incredible work. It was an honor to serve with you in person. It's an honor now to cheer you on and encourage people to pray and support you in every way. And we're deeply, deeply appreciative of you taking time out of your incredible schedule to come join us by phone this evening. Thank you. I appreciate what you do. God bless you. God bless you as well, my friend. All right, after the break, we're going to continue to bring you up to speed as to what's happening in Maui. Pastor Steve Santos from the Calvary Chapel West Side in Maui will join me right after the break. He delivered a powerful sermon this past Sunday. We want you to hear from him right after the break. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview.
vampires. Uh, the images are absolutely heartbreaking. I'm sure you've seen them. You've watched it. It is unbelievable to describe what has taken place there. But we know that God is the God of all comfort. And last Sunday, Pastor Steve Santos of Calvary Chapel Westside, Maui, delivered such a message of hope. And he's here joining me now from Maui, live to discuss this. Pastor Steve Santos, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Westside, Maui. Welcome to Washington Watch, sir. Aloha. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, it's our blessing, brother. God bless you. I wish it was under different circumstances, but we are so grateful. As I understand, your church building remains standing, and we certainly thank God for that, but so many of your members literally lost everything. They lost all their possessions in this world. Uh, tell us what what you've experienced, what your church family is experiencing. Uh, well, basically, uh, Tuesday morning, the power went out about 5 o'clock in the morning, and uh, my wife and I went to the other side of the island to run some errands that were needed, which we wouldn't normally with that kind of wind, but she's also had some physical pain, so she needed to go to Kaiser and get that checked uh, and doing good now, uh, pretty much. But uh, as we came home, the phone lines were and the power lines were doing the kind of jump rope thing, if you've ever seen that, when the winds get really high. And as that happened, uh, I knew it's time to get home fast and uh, hoping the power would maybe be on. But when we got home, the power was still out. So I told my wife, I'm gonna run to Lahaina get some generators out of our uh, church stuff and put one here at the house and one up north and uh, just to help people, whatever. Didn't think things would go as long as they have. But as I got to Lahaina, traffic was backed up forever. Saw that the only way out was one way. The highway was closed because of poles down. There was one two-lane road and there was a splintered pole just hanging in the wind, bouncing and bouncing in the wind. And so I made it back under that, but I knew that that was going to block off all of everybody in town, you know? And so that's kind of how what happened. Everybody got trapped there. And, uh, wow. and when they had a fire that started up at the top by the phone lines to that with 70 to hundred mile an hour gusts, there was no stopping it. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. And the, the images have just been heart wrenching on this end. And yet in the midst of all the suffering and, uh, pain that you and the, everyone on the island is experiencing. You delivered a powerful message this past Sunday that God is the God of comfort. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how it was received. Well, basically, you know, Thursday morning after we knew how terrible everything was and burned as badly, we got to see a lot. And power has been out. No social media, no internet, no text messaging, no phone calls. A little bit the last few days has gotten better. We just got a Starlink to be able to set this up. Uh, but there's the power is, is here, but there's no communication or there's problems with communication still. Uh, but long story short, we were in that place where uh, you're desperate. And I was praying in the morning, God, what do, you, what do I tell these people that have lost their children? They've lost their, their tutus, the grandmas and papas and and everything they have that, you know, you tell them, hey, well, have hope. Jesus is good. He's the God of all hope, you know. And they're like, you know, well, blankety blank your God. You know.
All right, Steve, I believe we've lost you. All right, well, uh, Steve, Pastor Steve Santos, live with us from Maui. Uh, what an incredible story of hope, of courage, of faith, and of keeping the people there. Uh, hopeful. It's, uh, you know, we, we talked yesterday, Samaritan's Purse, literally 17 tons worth of relief aid that they delivered to the island yesterday, and they are on the ground today, even as we speak. That actually was going to be my next question to Pastor Santos as to those efforts with Samaritan's Purse and how they're going and what it's like working with them. All right, Steve, can you hear me now? All right, there we go. Yeah, we've got you. Sorry about that. Samaritan's Purse is on the ground. How are the efforts coordinating with them going? Well, I'm just starting to. I met with the, the guys one time. They were talking about using our building that's still there for a kind of command center once they get things going on this in Lahaina. I'm not sure where they're at on the other side right now, but uh, they are, you know, we're trying to piece it together. And with the lack of communication by phone or, or text message even, uh, that's been that one of the hardest things with that. But looking forward to doing more with that. You know, it looks like it's on the other side over there somewhere. This is Lahaina. Obviously. We were talking. Yeah, we were talking with them just yesterday. They've got 17 right tons there. Hold of on relief right. Can aid. Hold on that right there. Can you go back to that picture? If there's any chance. Yeah, that's there they my, are. That's right my, there. That's my daughter's house. That's my daughter and my family's wow. house. Wow. Steve, uh, listen, we've got less than 30 yeah. seconds. How can we be praying okay. for you and the, the people there in Maui real quickly? Be praying that people's hearts are open to hear the message that, that God didn't do this but that God is their hope through this. And uh, be praying for people, be praying for believers and Christians to pray and ask God where they give their money. You know, I'm not saying, hey, send it all to Calvary Chapel West Side, but pray. We've been working with Jack Hibbs with Real Life Network and uh, putting together, just got off Pastor, the phone. we're gonna have to leave it. We've got all a right. hard break, gotta leave it right there. Pastor Steve Santos, God bless you. Keep the torch ablaze and we're praying for you. All right, friends, coming up, a First Amendment victory and some defeats to continue praying for right after the break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation to stand for truth and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Senator Roger Marshall. It's great to have FRC out there saying, wait a second, we're the normal ones. We're the normal ones that were raised uh, with, with faith as a virtue, as, as a value, thinking that family was important, that it's still important, and standing for God and country. Uh, so it, all I can say is it would be worse. God always provides a way, and I think that God has a purpose for FR, FRC to be here. Now, Senator Roger Marshall, a great guy, an honor to serve with him. I was so excited to see him win that Senate race. He's doing a tremendous job standing for the things that you and I believe in. And I want to encourage you to join us September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. for this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Friends, I'm just telling you, this is not only is this going to be the talk of the town, this is going to be the talk of the country. We are going to have the uh, major candidates there. This is going to be a major place to be, and you can join us. We want you to join us. We want to see you there. Registration is open as we all are standing for faith, family, and freedom. Registration is open. I urge you to go visit prayvotestand.org for more details and to register. That's prayvotestand.org. All right, you've heard me and others talk a lot about a two tiered system of justice in this country. Well, yesterday, a federal appeals court ruled uh, that Washington, D.C. unequally penalized a pro-life group when enforcing its defacement ordinances. Now, this is a, a great victory. Uh, in the summer of 2020, many of you will remember there were thousands of protesters and rioters that literally flooded the streets of D.C. 
uh, covering the surfaces everywhere with, with paint and all sorts of things, yet no one was arrested. But during the same summer, D.C. police did arrest two pro-life advocates for writing Black Preborn Lives Matter on the, chalk, on the sidewalk with chalk. So they're just using chalk, which disappears next time it rains. And they were simply saying, Black Preborn Lives Matter. Well, this is a clear case of discrimination against the pro-life groups, and the courts agreed. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Dean Nelson. He is FRC's Senior Fellow for African American Affairs, as well as the Chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, which is one of the two groups that sued D.C. Dean, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you, my friend. Man, it's great to be back. Thanks so much. And uh, excited about Prevote Stand uh, coming up, too. But um, thank you for so much for having me on. Yeah, you're going to be there, and we're uh, looking forward to that. Uh, listen, first of all, let me just say, Dean, congratulations. What a tremendous victory this was. Fill us in on anything that I missed. Fill in the gaps, please. Well, just to give the background, as you stated, Jody, you know, in 2000, uh, you know, 2020, there were all across the nation protests, you know, for George Floyd. And we understand when America saw visibly a person, you know, who went through what he went through, we understand that protest. But the reality is, is that, as you stated, they were flooded. Cities were flooded. I mean, there was, you know, destruction that happened in cities. But when we as an organization that wanted to make a public stand for the sanctity of life by simply painting or chalking Black Preborn Lives Matter, we were met with the city of D.C., uh, a whole host of force of, um, of officers were there. And when we dared to simply write on the sidewalk, there's few students that were with us, uh, Black Preborn Lives Matter in front of that Planned Parenthood, the mayor's uh, deputies that were there went to work and they arrested two of the young people that were with us and they did not allow us to paint. So we're grateful for the uh, the circuit court uh, making its decision 3-0, saying, listen, this is, you cannot discriminate against viewpoint uh, and expression, uh, according to the First Amendment, when one group uh, has a, a viewpoint that's different from another group. So we were grateful with the decision, and it allows us to move forward uh, with our case against Mayor Bowser in Washington, D.C. Well, again, a great victory, and I tell you, watching those, those the video of that whole thing, it's still, it's just, it is unthinkable that this type of thing happens in America. I mean, let's just face it, it's, it's unbelievable that the, the right of free speech is being aggressively attacked by the left in this country, and unfortunately, so many uh, people agree with it, but there are multiple elements involved in the, all this. Obviously, there's this free speech, but then there's this discrimination against pro-life Groups compared to the rioters, as you mentioned. Tell us about these two young people uh, who were arrested for writing a pro-life message. Who, who, are, who are they? Just give us a little bit of info on them. Yeah, so as you may know, we joined together with Students for Life uh, with this protest, and um, we were all there. I was there uh, shouting at the police, um, but uh, they, didn't, they didn't arrest me. They arrested the two young students um, that worked with Students for Life, and all they simply did was to begin to write in chalk. I mean, something that's done all throughout Washington, D.C., you know, you know, every week when, you know, young kids do hopscotch or whatever, they write on the sidewalk and uh, with no penalty. But in this case, they were there 
meeting us to send these kids. They put them in the paddy wagon and sent them down. And we continued to stand and protest and did a march later on that day. And so grateful for ADF and their attorneys that helped to represent us uh, in this important case. Absolutely. So, the, yeah, let's let's wrap up with that. Where does this case go from here? Yeah, so basically now this will allow us to move forward with our full case against Washington, D.C. and the mayor's office, uh, us and Students for Life, to get justice, uh, justice for not just for us, but for anybody who wants to stand for what they believe in and to um, to, to communicate that in the public square and uh, making sure that uh, the federal government, the state government, the city government cannot clamp down on individuals just because they disagree with the positions and the speech that we stand for. Dean Nelson, you are a hero. Thank you so much for standing for these kids, for suing uh, D.C., for standing in the gap. You know, one of the amazing things we all find out, and I know you know this well, when we stand up, we usually win. When we show up, That's we it. win. So, That's uh, it, man. Dean we, Nelson we, we with the Frederick Douglass often, Foundation, right? thank you. And we do. Absolutely. God bless you, my friend. Good to see you. All right. As uh, news from Maryland this week, on the other end of the spectrum, it it demonstrates why we've got to continue to pray. We've got to continue to vote and to stand up against the left's takeover of our schools. A U.S. Court of Appeals dismissed a case that would have prevented Montgomery County schools from concealing students' gender confusion from their parents. Folks, you heard that right. We now have a, a, a major court saying the school has the right to keep information about gender uh, confusion from the parents. The district has uh, what they call guidelines for gender identity that state that if a student identifies as a different gender at school, teachers should hide that information from parents. And according to the appeals court, because the parents in the lawsuit supposedly did not have children who identify as transgender, the court said they had no standing. Well, that seems to kind of totally miss the whole point to me. But nonetheless, joining me now to discuss this is Stephen Fitchin. He's the president of the National Legal Foundation and was a co-counsel on this case representing the parents. Steve, welcome to Washington Watch. Glad to have you. Thanks, Jody. It's good to be here. All right, so I'm sure you're disappointed with the lawsuit being dismissed, but explain what the parents were seeking and what the courts actually said. Right, so you explained the basics of it. They, they adopted this policy uh, going back to the 2019-2020 school year, uh, and they do hide this information from the parents uh, if the school decides that the parents would not be supportive of what the child is trying to do. Uh, and, and it applies from high school all the way down to kindergarten. So you can just imagine, you know, a kindergarten kid, a fifth grader, an eighth grader says, hey, I, I want to be the other gender. Uh, and they do two things in particular to, to hide it from the parents. They, you know, they, they refer to the child by the preferred pronouns, the preferred name, and it's all in, in files, but it's, they have a secret set of files that's not uh, a pejorative. It is literally a second set of files that they do not give parents access to under federal law. They get, let them see everything else, but not this. And the second thing they do is when they're talking to the parents or when the parents are on campus, they revert to the given name and the, the birth gender in front of the parents so the parents never know this is happening. Well, Steve, how in the world are the parents supposed to 
No, I mean, if, if parents don't have standing, who in the world does? Yeah, I look at this and I say, all right, they said the parents didn't have standing because their kids were not identifying as, as transgender. How did, they, how did the parents know whether their kids were, were or were not identifying as transgender at the school if the school's not going to tell them one way or the other? How in the world is a parent supposed to obtain standing when all pertinent information is being withheld? Well, that's, that's the heart of the matter. And, and fortunately, we had a, a dissenting opinion, which we'll talk about in due course, that said exactly that. How in the world are they supposed to know? This injury is uh, impending. It's, it's likely to happen. It applies to every child from, from kindergarten on up, as I just said. And the parents will, in fact, never know if the child says, please don't tell my parents. They have the kids rate their parents on a scale of 1 to 10 as being supportive or not supportive or fear that they will be supportive or not supportive. And if the school says the, the parents are not going to be supportive in their sole judgment, the parents will never find out until it's too late. And so that's exactly why we said they do have standing. That's exactly uh, why the dissenting judge said the same thing. Um, and so it, it is just a head scratcher. It really is. You know, it, it gives every appearance that the guidelines, uh, to me, make it clear that that these people think they know more about what's best for the children than the parents do, that they are better equipped uh, to take care of the children than the parents are. And it appears that they're saying the parents have to wait until damage occurs, until their child is in a vicious life cycle that is going to permanently alter their lives. The parents have to wait until it's too late before they can even sue or do anything. How does this make any sense whatsoever? Well, it doesn't make any sense for all the reasons we both just said. And one of the most shocking things is that the, the two judges who voted against us, the two judges who said, you don't have standing, which means you're not the right person to sue, you don't have an injury, they themselves acknowledged how terrible the policy is. They said at one point, they said the school board's position is so staggering from a policy standpoint. A few paragraphs later, they said it is perhaps, and judges sometimes hedge like that, but they said it is perhaps repugnant as a matter of policy. And then they turned around and said, but you can't do anything about it. All right, I'm just, I'm speechless of how to even respond to that. I mean, I agree with what the judges said, but how do they make that kind of statement and then turn around, as you just said, and say, but you have no standing. I mean, how, how do you go from point A to point B in that kind of reality check that we know this is repugnant, but how, how do they yeah. get there? The only way they get there is they, they applied correct principles incorrectly. So normally you can't say this might happen or that might happen. Uh, it's too speculative. You're raising arguments that may, in fact, never happen. But the difference here is, as we've already addressed, they won't. They won't. And so they they it, it's it's a different scenario. It's a different ballgame. If the school makes it impossible for them to ever know for sure, the only avenue they have is to try and sue up front, which is why we brought this case. And it's exactly what the uh, dissenting judge uh, said, said in his opinion. Um, so what... What is a parent to do right now in Montgomery County? I mean, what, what, what happened? What, what does a parent do from here? 
Well, we are going to uh, ask the Supreme Court to take the case. Uh, as you probably know, you have to file a petition, uh, and they sometimes say yes, they sometimes say no, they say more a lot more often, but we're very optimistic uh, for a couple of reasons. I'll just mention one of them right now. First of all, this problem is, is showing up all across the country. Right now, these policies that say schools can hide this from parents, or as in our case, they must hide it from parents, it, they're in 37 states in D.C. They're in over 1,000 school districts in those states, over 18,000 individual schools within the districts who are teaching over 10 million students. And therefore, we are hoping that the Supreme Court will say, we need to deal with this. And what are they teaching those 10 million students? Well, that's another question. Not only are they doing these sorts of things, but they're starting to have uh, pro-LGBTQ, as some people say, uh, inclusive uh, materials. Uh, they're some, sometimes they're trying to get them into health classes. Sometimes they're getting them into, we, we have learned of one situation where they're trying to get them into English language classes. And so it, they're teaching stuff that is very harmful and, again, trying to prevent parents from doing anything about it. And then on this issue, they're just flat hiding it with secret uh, records and, and you know, uh, disingenuous actions when they're in front of the parents. Well, Stephen, I just, uh, let me just say thank you so much for standing in the gap. What you're doing is exceedingly important. And I know that you know that. Uh, and uh, both all of us, we are, we're encouraging our FRC family to be praying for you and supporting you. You know, we just had good news on the one hand coming out of Washington, D.C. with these two pro-life students who uh, finally saw justice for being arrested after being discriminated against. And then you just come right to a case like what you're dealing with. Very, very disturbing. But thank you, Stephen Fitching from the National Legal Foundation. Very, very grateful for your input today. Thank you. My last comments is just going to be about uh, they know there's an injury, they know it's repugnant, and yet they say you have to leave court. The dissenting judge called that an abdication of judicial duty, and that's exactly what it was, and that's why we're going to the Supreme Court. Thank you, my friend. Keep fighting. We're here for you as well. Thank you for joining us, everyone, this evening on Washington Watch. We'll see you tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.